0: So a few years ago, I led a mission trip to Hungary, and some of our team were, went and worked in a, in a Romani gypsy village. Now, the pastor in this village had me speak at an evening outreach event, and he asked me to tell this group of people why I had come to Hungary. And I wasn't, perhaps foolishly, I wasn't aware at the time of the real tensions between the gypsy people and and the Hungarians when I prepared this talk. But I spoke from Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, about how I went to Hungary because I had family there, and I wanted to go and spend time with them. And now my point was actually that all of them who were Christians, were the family whom I came to see, and that we are truly family because we are united together in Christ's blood. Now, there are often difficulties in ministry of various different types, but at that moment, then and there, in this field in the middle of nowhere, speaking to these people, getting to preach the gospel to them who, as I realized at the time, were often so alienated from others and and need to know that other Christians care for them, was itself the reward. This is an unforgettable memory, despite costing time, energy, and personal funds to take the trip it was a reward in itself. It was a privilege to get to use personal resources to explain the gospel, especially in a way that was new and meaningful to most of them. Now that story is just meant to illustrate Paul's point in First Corinthians nine, fifteen to eighteen, right? Which falls within this broader discussion about the issue of food sacrificed to idols and why Christians need to be ready to give up their rights. So, we looked previously at chapter 8, which shows that the Corinthians had written to Paul already, a a letter that we don't have, and they had questions about whether it's acceptable to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, since those idols are, are merely just false gods that don't have any real divine existence. And Paul responded that, yes, their theological point was true. But they cannot use their true theology to batter Christians who have a weaker conscience. And so then in chapter 9, Paul continued the discussion related to food that had been sacrificed to idols by supporting his principle that Christians should be Ready to give up their rights for one another by appealing to how he had the apostolic right to financial support as a, as a gospel minister, but gave up that right to prevent any obstacles to the gospel, against the gospel within the Corinthian church. He established what his apostolic rights were and that he gave them up in verses 1 to 14, which we've already Considered and in the verses we examine tonight, he explained that he gave up the right to financial support so that he would have the reward of preaching the gospel willingly without outside obligation or liability. And so I think this passage calls us to consider how the gospel itself is its own reward in a great many ways. And Christians of all types should see that the gospel calls us to be generous in serving each other for the sake of promoting the gospel as the free good news about Jesus Christ. So the main point is when a Christian sacrifices a right for another Christian spiritual well-being, it helps show that the gospel is free. When a Christian sacrifices a right for another Christian's spiritual well-being, it helps show how the gospel is free. We're going to think about that together in three points, delivery, demands, and delights. So first, let's think about this delivery. Now, if you open your Bibles, keep them open at least, and, and have them in front of you in verses 15-18, to Paul explained the reason why he was so upfront about giving up his right as a minister to have financial support from the Corinthians. So look at verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, in this verse, Paul restated that point that has been very clear so far—that he had never used these rights in Corinth, nor is he writing this chapter. He, he wants to make explicit also, so that he might gain financial support. Now, the reason that he had and still refused their financial support because he thought it was better to die than to be robbed of his only reason to boast. Now, right, that raises a difficult question for us, doesn't it? Because Paul was constantly the one who wrote against boasting Since, after all, we have no reason to stand proudly before our God as sinners. Obedience, after all, is is simply what creatures owe to their creators. So they, they don't really have any reason to brag when they just do what they're supposed to have done. And that was exactly Paul in verses 16 to 17. For... If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For, because, necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if I do it not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So, right, what's happening here is Paul said he had to preach the gospel. It was his obligation to do so because that is what God had created him and called him to do. He would have been disobedient had he not preached the gospel. But on the other hand, he did not have to give up his right to financial support while preaching the gospel, which meant that Doing so was his extra-voluntary contribution to the gospel cause. Now, I want to illustrate this by uh, asking our young people a couple of questions. So, boys and girls, right, maybe you identify with me in this. I remember when my mother instructed me to clean my room, right, not, which is not really the most fun thing we can do. Things can pile up in anybody's room And time. We have to make the effort to tidy it. Now, do all the young people here, they know about cleaning their rooms, right? You guys know. You've done that. Emphatic answers. <laughs> so, now, the thing about it is, right, once mom has told you to clean your room, <laughs> you, you just have to do it, don't you? Like, there's not really negotiation and yeah the kind of the raw part of the deal is after you clean your room like you just break even don't you like you just did what you're supposed to do you don't get any commendation you're not going to get in trouble but you also just did what you were told and at the end of the day our parents own the house where we live and if we want to continue to occupy one of their rooms we have to do what they say Now though, on the other hand, what if you went the extra mile mom told you to clean your room and you went the extra mile and cleaned the bathroom too? You've done what mom said to do, but now you've gone above and beyond above and beyond the call of duty. And you can have real satisfaction that you have given your all to this cleaning effort. If you clean your room and then you have avoided trouble since you did what you're supposed to do and what you were obligated to do. If you, if you clean more than was expected of you though, then you have real reason to feel that you've contributed a full amount of commendable work. And the, the point here, right, is that Paul thought this way about his ministry in Corinth By rejecting their financial support. He knew that foregoing that right made his efforts more than what he was obligated to do, right? He still had a stewardship even if he used his right. But he didn't. He did more than he was obligated and that earned him the right to assert his contribution. He, he valued preaching Uh, the gospel so much that he did not want anyone to be able to say that preaching was just his job. But he wanted to be able to claim his preaching as the personal reward itself since he had done it for free. He made that point clear in verse 18. What then? We see it, right? What then is my reward? He's about to tell us what his reward is that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He pointedly stated that preaching the gospel for free is his reward. The gospel itself was worth it for Paul. He rejoiced in preaching for free to people who would make much of his reliance on cultural patrons like traveling philosophers did because his free preaching helped display the gospel's own free nature. So Paul's delivery of the gospel free of charge showed that they could not buy or earn the gospel, but that it came to them for free. Brings us to our second point demands. So the last point highlighted from this text that Paul preached the gospel without taking financial support from the Corinthians so that preaching the gospel would be his reward in itself. There are a few ways that I think this principle confronts us to consider the ways that we live the Christian life, which is what we're going to consider in this point. So last week, already in the introduction tonight, we noted how Paul used this chapter as an argument for Christians to be ready to give up their rights for one another by appealing to his own example that he had done this as well. Now one reason that Paul Defended his rights in this chapter was to show what he willingly sacrificed for them. And I think that that prompts us to consider ourselves in relation to other Christians. It is, it is really easy to get locked onto what we want and to come up with firm reasons why that should be the only way that things should be. We get bound, wound up about things that we feel like we deserve and things that we think are right. Yeah, if you'll indulge me in sort of a nerdy digression for a second. I mean, even if we think about the history of this country, right? The, the Civil War in the, in the 1640s erupted largely because some people in authority used political power to enforce certain religious practices. You now, whatever you make of what they imposed, their legal insistence ground against the consciences of some who felt that it overstepped what the Scripture requires. What was indifferent became an offense when it was mandated. Now, right, perhaps our own issues do not become so explosive as those leading up to the English Civil War, but certainly they can damage our Christian relationships. Churches have had major fallout over the the color of carpets and over chairs versus pews. You may have excellent reason. I mean, you may have all your ducks in a row and have the perfect argument for your preference on these matters or other matters. But scripture does not mandate that practice, so we cannot have our, we cannot hurt our fellow Christians over these issues or others. There are clear matters, I mean, yeah, listen close on this before, I don't want to be con- get accused of being too loose, right? There are clear matters of faith that the Scripture defines and our tradition has required as our Christian understanding of what the Scripture teaches. And although we do want to be winsome and kind in our approach, actually, we don't have to entertain conversations about whether Christians believe in the Trinity. We do. If you don't, you're not a Christian. You may be very pleasant and kind. You may believe the Scripture, but you're not a Christian. We actually don't have to entertain conversations about whether Protestants believe in salvation by faith alone. We we just do. There are, aside from that, there are other matters, though, about which... True Christians might have real disagreements regarding what Scripture teaches and requires. Matters about which our confessions have not outlined a definitive position on what Scripture means. And in these sorts of cases, we have to be more reserved about asserting our view as the only acceptable option, which is very difficult At least for me. Um, The point is that there may be biblical and theological rationales for your view. But that does not mean that insisting upon it is faithfulness to God. Paul had the right to insist on financial support, since that is clearly a biblical principle. But it was best for him to forego that right so that the gospel might flourish. The Corinthians had at least some truth on their side for their approach to eating meat sacrificed to idols, but it was best for them not to insist on their right to eat it since that meant damage, uh, that might damage their fellow Christians as they attempt to grow in grace. Now, we need to learn from this further biblical principle that we need to make decisions obviously based on Scripture, yes, but also often directed towards someone else's benefit. Let me restate that. When we make decisions, we have a biblical principle, right? That not only are we making decisions based on what the Scripture teaches, but we are also, we're not sacrificing that, but also considering how to make a decision directed towards benefiting fellow Christians. We tend to think first... I think this is uh, this is where this text gets sticky for all of us because I think we tend to leap first to how other people are not giving up things for us. I'm very sure that someone, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but I know that someone... In this service has been thinking about all the ways you feel others impose upon you or have failed to give up things for you. It's inevitable in a room this size with this many people. But have you noticed that that's actually the opposite of what this passage calls us to do? And the scripture actually rebukes us for thinking that way? We rush... To how these principles work for our benefit when the whole point is that we need to be ready to give up our rights to benefit somebody else. The biblical demands are that we think more of others than ourselves. Which brings us to our last point, the lights. I know that it can be difficult to think about how we are meant to give up things for other people. I don't really know of too many who just think, man, I really want to talk about how I can make sacrifices. It's not usually what we like. And often our first impulse is to find reasons why this doesn't apply to us. It is certainly true that your Christian brothers and sisters will fail you. 100%. There's, I don't have to qualify that in any way. Christians will fail you. Perhaps they will insist upon something that you do not like. It's very possible. Perhaps they will fail to give up something that, you, that would seriously aid your Christian walk if they would abstain from it. Despite how poorly Christians may act out this principle of self-denial for gospel promotion, we do see how it points us right to the heart of the gospel, though, don't we? Our passage is clear that Paul gave up his right to financial support because preaching the gospel was itself his delight he rejoiced to preach and celebrated the gospel because it was his delight and the reason that he delighted particularly in giving the gospel to others for free is because the gospel itself is free the principle of giving up our rights in order to serve others is actually People use this too often. I get that. I think I'm reserving it. This is a gospel principle. Giving up rights for other Christians to show that the gospel is free is a gospel principle. We know, right? We, the way that we see that is because we know that Christ, Christ, gave up everything for us, right? We we read Philippians two. And Paul wrote in verses 4 to 8 that we are to have the mind of Christ by thinking more significantly of others because of Jesus, God's own Son, who has every right, right? God's Son has every right and privilege that can exist in the universe since He is the one who has equality with God, And Jesus did not insist upon that equality with God, but humbled himself by taking on human nature, gave up his rights to asserting equality with God and became the obedient servant. The shocking aspect of God learning to obey when God is to be obeyed and obeyed even unto death. And his death was to pay for your sins. The gospel is that God's Son did not insist on his rights, but gave them up so that he could earn the privileges of citizenship in heaven for you. It is fitting that we would imitate our Savior in giving up our rights to benefit others. But it is even more fitting that we would trust our Savior because, after all, he could have insisted that things be very different. He could have insisted that everyone who has betrayed the triune God would go straight to hell and suffer forever. He could have insisted that you remain alienated from him for all eternity, He could have insisted that you have no privileges of anything ever. Yet he gave up all of his privileges. Did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he lived, died, and rose again because he delighted to author the gospel to make you his people. Let's pray. Father God, we do see that the gospel itself is a source of delight, that it is a reward in itself. And so we pray that you would make us gospel people. We pray that we would be ones who never lose sight of Jesus Christ himself and the privileges of being united to him by faith. And we pray that we would never lose sight of the implications of that gospel itself for our life and how we are called by the fact of the gospel, to act in accord with it by giving up things to benefit other Christians. We pray that you would give us wisdom in this. We don't want to be uh, pushed around too easily. We don't want to give in to things because we're bullied, because that is not for the good of the church as a whole. But God, we want to be people who live sacrificial lives, who are ready to live for others more than for ourselves. And so we pray that you would help us in that. And we pray that you would help us in that, not because we think that that makes you love us more, that gets us firm, more for, firmly into heaven, but because we know that Christ has done the same to secure for us unshakable, eternal life. And that is our hope that enables us to live out these principles. We do pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.